Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, the great I am. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Our God is great, is he not? Father in heaven, we come before you, the great I am, and thank you for the privilege, the honor it is for us this morning to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ at the feet of the throne and worship you, not just through song, not just the preaching of your word, but through fellowship with one another. As we take these next few moments, as we dive together into the word of God, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, speak to us, speak through us, speak your truth. Bring about change where change is needed, blessing where blessing is is needed. Lord, we just lay this before you and thank you for what you're going to do. We give you all the honor, the glory, and praise. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Grab your Bibles, if you would, please, and go to Genesis chapter 13. 13th chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, if you're not sure where Genesis 13 is, find Genesis 12 and go to the right. Or Genesis 14, go to the left, nestled right between the two is where we're going to be for the next few moments together. And I want to open this morning's message with a statement you've heard me say in one form or another almost every time I stand up here. It's the thesis that drives almost every message I preach. It's the thesis that drives the ministry that I'm involved in. Uh, and, And you may sit here this morning as you listen to this message and you may think, well, this sounds really familiar. Well, it It should. It should, because you see, when King Me is sitting on the throne of my heart, three things happen simultaneously. Number one, I'm going to worship King Me. Everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is going to be for the benefit of me. What's going to make King Me happy, happy, happy? Second, right along with it, I'm going to expect you, I'm going to expect every one of you, and I'm going to expect everything to worship me. After all, I'm the king. And thirdly, I'm going to expect God to worship me. You see, folks, we do what we do because in our heart we want what we want. We cannot change our behavior till we first change our heart. So with that as the foundation, by now you should be open to Genesis 13. I'd like you to follow along as I read to you verses 1 through 12 of Genesis chapter 13. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. They pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole country is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we'll separate you want the land to the left, I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, I'll take the land to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere. 
Like, like the Garden of the Lord or, or the beautiful land of Egypt. Now, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. I want you to focus your attention for just a moment on verse 11. There's some specific wording I want you to catch with me here. See, it tells us in Genesis 13, verse 11, that Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. It's important to me that you not miss this because King Me was sitting on the throne of his heart. Lot chose for himself to go east. You know, I, I can't help but wonder if God had been on the throne of his heart at that moment, if he would have chosen instead to Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I wonder if God had been on the throne of his heart, if he would have chosen to Romans chapter 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. I submit if, if God had been on the throne of his heart, Lot's response would have been something like, hey, uncle, you know, you've really poured into my life. You've, you've invested years teaching me what it means to trust God, uh, how, how to worship Elohim. You've shown me what it means to be a man of God. You've taught me how to grow a successful business. So to honor you, to bless you, uncle, I'm going to make you go east. I'm going to let you go to the lush countryside. You deserve it. God will help me in the west. I, I, I'm not worried about it. That's what he should have done. In fact, I would submit to you that that's what he would have done if his heart had been focused in the right place, if he had had God on the throne of his heart. But instead, because King Me was sitting on the throne of his heart, Lot chose for himself. We'll see shortly that that King Me choice led to other King Me choices, which in turn led to other King Me choices, all of which resulted in the fall of a righteous man of God. Now, some of you may be sitting there and saying, wait, wait, wait just a minute, Steve. Are you calling Lot a righteous man of God? No, I'm not. But God is. Let me explain in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It tells us that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. Now, we will see shortly that just before destroying those cities for their wickedness, God sends two angels to Sodom. Why did he do that? Well, verses seven and eight tells us why. It was to rescue Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men. That, that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. I want to make sure you catch the fact that three times in two verses, God calls Lot a righteous man. I think we need to understand what that means, and that is simply this, that God's saying that Lot stood before God, the Almighty, as one approved, as one accepted, as a righteous man. Now, what we know of the story of Lot, that begs the question, what does it take to become a righteous man in the eyes of God? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, tells us that Abel was a righteous man. Not because of anything he did, but because of his faith in God. 
Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 tells us that Abraham was considered a righteous man, not because of anything he did, but because he believed the Lord. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, it tells us that no one, don't miss this, no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous live by faith. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 and 22, it says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. This righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. All throughout Scripture, God makes it abundantly clear that no one, absolutely no one, stands before him righteous. No one stands before him as one approved and accepted based on their good deeds. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it declares that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. James chapter 2, verse 10 tells us whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So there's not a single person in this room, not a single person watching online, there's not one of us who can earn or otherwise weasel our way into God's good graces. The single requirement for being a righteous person in the eyes of the Almighty God is by putting all of your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the only way you can get to heaven. So I have a very important question I want to ask you this morning. In fact, I submit it is arguably the most important question you will ever hear your entire lifetime. Here's my question. If you were to die right now, where would you spend the rest of eternity? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? You see, your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation, believing with all of your heart that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took upon himself the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Believing with all your heart that Jesus Christ took your sin upon himself, he paid the penalty for your sin and he paid it in full. That act of faith places you in a right standing before God. So I'm gonna ask the question again, have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation? Can you say for certainty, I know that when I die or when he comes again, I am going to heaven to be with him for eternity? If your answer is yes, then you need to understand that you are considered to be righteous in the eyes of a holy God. That's positionally righteous, not necessarily practically righteous. You may not be living like it, but in your heart, you've put the faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you stand before God righteous. But let me quickly add here, if you've never done that, if you don't know for sure where you're gonna spend eternity if you were to die, if you've never asked Christ to come into your heart, then I wanna encourage you. I I wanna plead with you. At the end of this service, would you make your way down front? Our prayer team is gonna be down here. They would love to take an opportunity to just sit down with you for just a couple of moments, open up God's word, and show you how you can know for sure where you're gonna spend eternity. They would love to be able to pray with you. But we see in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the scriptures declare that Lot was a righteous man. The scriptures also tell us because he was a righteous man, the lifestyle he was choosing to live, he was a very miserable man. Let me remind you of what 2 Peter 2 verses 7 and 8 said. It said, Lot was distressed by the filthy lies of lawless men. Lot was tormented in his righteous soul by the things that he saw and the things that he heard. 
You see, on the one hand, <clears throat> excuse me, on the one hand, because he was a righteous man, he wanted to please God. He wanted to glorify his creator and his savior. But on the other hand, there was a strong desire to please self. <clears throat> excuse me. Paul describes it this way in Galatians chapter five. He says that Lot's flesh, our flesh, your flesh, my flesh, is in conflict with God's spirit. God's spirit is in conflict with our flesh. Galatians 5.17 says that they're opposed to one another. They're polar opposites. There's a constant internal battle going on in the life of the believer who wants to please God and yet wants to please King me. So I wanna submit as we go through this story of Lot this morning that this story serves as a, a serious reminder to all of us of what can happen in the, your life, what can happen in my life if we choose to allow King me to reign in our life and rule in our hearts. You see, we choose our consequences the very moment we choose our actions. Let me repeat that. We choose our consequences the moment we choose our actions. It's a package deal, folks. You can't have one without the other. And that principle, I want to talk about it, how, how it relates to Lot, how it relates to us. Because you see, every choice that Lot made, every choice Lot made had a consequence. Every choice you and I make has consequences. So here's a vital question I'm going to be posing to you multiple times for the remainder of this message. And my question is this. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Whom are you choosing to worship? What are the things that you are choosing for yourself? And what will the consequences of those choices be? In Genesis chapter four, verse seven, God is talking with Cain just before he kills his brother Abel. We've looked at this verse before. God said to Cain, if you do what is right, there's a choice. Will you not be blessed? There's the consequence. If you do not do what is right, there's a choice. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. It wants to devour you. It wants to consume every part of your life. There's the consequence. So you must rule over it. Let me put it to you this way. You predetermine the consequence every time you choose the action. You predetermine the consequence every time you choose the action. That's why Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I want you to look at that verse, Rome. Let's leave it up on the screen for just a couple moments here. I want you to notice the words above all else. You understand what that means? That means nothing is more important than this. God himself is declaring the most important thing to every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online. Everything needs to go under this umbrella. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, the word heart is the word that refers to the place where thinking and decision-making occurs. It's your mind. So above all else, the most important thing is to guard your mind, to protect your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from everything you think. What you think becomes what you do. So what we're going to see with Lot is Lot failed to guard his heart. He failed to protect his mind. Instead, he chose for himself to let his spiritual guard down. And when he let his guard down, he allowed the wickedness of the world to penetrate his mind and permeate his thinking. And the result 
was it impacted his living. He ended up making a series of very bad choices that led to a series of very bad consequences. I want you to listen to this next equation, if you will, and listen closely. I'll repeat it twice that you get it. And it goes like this. Whom you choose to worship determines what you choose to think about. Let me repeat that. Whom you choose to worship determines what you choose to think about. What you choose to think about determines what you choose to do. What you choose to do determines the consequences that result. Let me run that by you again. Whom you choose to worship determines what you choose to think about. What you choose to think about determines what you choose to do. What you choose to do determines the consequences that result. So again, I ask, are the thoughts that you're thinking, are the daily choices that you're making for the benefit of King Me or for the glory of God? I want to submit, if Lot had chosen to follow the principle of Matthew 6.33, if Lot had chosen to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his story would have ended totally different. If you would choose, Matthew 6.33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I submit your story will have an amazing ending. You can't, <laughs> Lot can't, go back in time and change his choices. He, he's, he's in eternity. But what about you? Now, I, I, I don't want you to think I'm suggesting you can go back in time and change your past. But I do want you to understand that from this point on, you can move forward and influence and impact your future by the choices that you make. You see, your choices today determine the consequences tomorrow. If we're not constantly guarding our heart, folks, if we're not continuously focused on the 1 Corinthians 10.31 goal of whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And you know what all means? All means all, and that's all all means. If you don't do it all to the glory of God every moment of every day, then we will be guilty of making the same sinful choices as Lot, and we will suffer the consequences of our choices. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but Galatians chapter six, verse seven promises you will, you will always, you will always harvest, you will always harvest what you plant. In other words, what you sow is what you will reap. Your choices lead to consequences. You can choose the consequence by choosing the action. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 19. Go a few chapters forward to Genesis chapter 19. Here's what we're about to see. Somewhere between Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, and Genesis 19, verse 1, Lot makes the choice to pick up the stakes of his tent, to move into Sodom, and I don't know what was going on in his mind. Maybe... Maybe it made sense to him. Maybe he thought he was, maybe it was a shrewd business decision. Maybe he thought he was going to be a great soul winner. I don't know what his rationale was. But I do know 
that Lot made the faithful choice to pull up the stakes and to move into that wicked city to purchase a house and to settle in. Paul gives us a very somber, very serious warning in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Here's what he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. And here's a fact. Based on what we see in Genesis 19, Lot made the choice to surround himself with bad company. And that bad choice resulted in bad consequences. Consequences such as corrupting the the, the godly ethics and the godly principles that he had learned from his uncle. Those surrounding himself with bad company, the bad choices destroyed his testimony to the world around him and it irreversibly shattered his family. Never lose sight of the fact that you choose your consequences by choosing your actions. Back in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, we saw that Lot chose not only for himself, but he chose to pitch his tent toward Sodom. I I want you to understand the serious consequence of that singular choice. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, which means that he was daily exposing himself and his family to the wickedness of the world. From the moment he lifted the flap of his tent in the morning till he closed it at night, the wickedness of the world was coming into his heart and into his home. It was destroying his faith and his family. His home, watch this now, his home was no longer a refuge. His home was no longer a safe place because the world was welcomed in. And so I want to ask you, where is your tent pitched? Where is your tent pitched? What are you choosing to allow to enter into your heart? What are you choosing daily to allow into your mind and into your home, into your family, in your faith? What are you choosing to be exposed to? And then what are the ramifications? What are the consequences of those choices? Remember, you choose your consequence by choosing the action. As the story unfolds for us in Genesis 19, it goes from bad to worse. In verse 1 of Genesis 19, we see that God is sending his two angels to Sodom. They arrive in the evening, and as they arrive, verse 1 tells us that they find Lot sitting at the gate. Now, I've got to hit the pause button for just a moment. Once you understand the significance of that statement, that Lot was sitting at the gate. You see, back then, only the members of the town council were allowed to sit at the gate. That's where they conducted their business. So what you need to understand is this was an earned position, a position of authority, a position of respect. So somewhere between Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, and Genesis 19, verse 1, Lot not only uh, stops pitching his tent and builds a house and settles in, surrounding himself and his family with bad company, but somewhere along the line, he became a respected member of the city, and he's sitting on the town council. I want to submit that that Lot is a living example of Psalm 1, verse 1. Here's what I mean by that. You see, by pitching his tent towards Sodom, he chose to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. By removing the stakes of his tent and moving into the city, he chose to stand in the way of sinners. By becoming a member of the town council, he chose to sit in the seat of scoffers. 
And the truth of Psalm 1, verse 1, is, is seen in Lot's life in the fact that as a result, he was not a happy man. He was not a blessed man. I know you've heard this before. I've said it, I know Phil has said it before, that sin will always take you farther than you ever planned on going. It will cost you more than you ever planned on paying. It'll make you stay longer than you ever planned on staying. Trust me, it's not worth it. I speak from personal experience. Genesis 19, verses one through three, as the angels arrive, we see Lot anxiously, maybe even a bit nervously, urging these two holy men to come to his place and spend the night. It wasn't an option. He wasn't being hospitable. He was nervous. He was anxious. And so the Bible says he pressed them strongly. He urged them, encouraging them to come to my place. And then, did you notice that he says, in the morning you can rise up early and go on your way. Get out of here. Now, admittedly, that doesn't sound very town councilish, does it? I mean, here's two, two strangers that come to your city, two potential sources of revenue, two strangers that, that uh, could be bringing business into town. Why, why not show them the sights? Why not tell them what a great and awesome city you have and, and encourage them to settle in and bring their business? That's what a town council member should do. I don't know, but verse four tells us this, that after supper, and I think maybe after they were clearing the table and they were sitting down to have a little discussion about what was about to transpire, verse four tells us there was a ruckus, a commotion that happened outside. It says, all the men of Sodom, both young and old, came from all over the city and they surrounded the house. Now again, I wanna hit the pause button. I want the significance of this to settle in. Now, we don't know for certain this, the size of Sodom. Some Bible experts say that the, the population was somewhere in the vicinity of 200,000. But you need to understand that if that's the case, then conceivably there were thousands of men, young and old, surrounding Lot's house. In verses 6 and 7, it really gets off the rails. In these two verses, we see Lot's response to their request. Listen closely to what it says in verses six and seven. It says, Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, my friends, he begged. Don't do such a wicked thing. All right, again, I've got to hit the pause button. It, it's vital that you catch this. It's critical that you not miss this. Did you hear what Lot, uh, what Lot just called them? He said, my brothers, my friends. He uses a term of endearment. You know, James warns us in James chapter four, verse four, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In Romans chapter eight, verse seven, Paul tells us that the mind that is set in the flesh, the mind that is focused on worshiping King me, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 commands us, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It says that all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father. It's of the world. So I want to submit that when Lot called those wicked men his friends, when he called them his brothers, 
He was a living example of the truth of Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, 33, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. His words were verbally declaring the allegiance of his heart at that moment, and I submit it wasn't for God, my brothers, my friends. I want to suggest as we continue to dive into Genesis 19 that Lot is where he is in Genesis 19 because he was where he was in Genesis 13. Every choice we make leads to a consequence. So I must ask, whom is your heart worshiping? Whom is your heart worshiping? You see, you cannot hide what your heart wants. I do what I do because in my heart I want what I want. Continuing in our story of Lot in Genesis chapter 19, I suggest that we're about to get our minds blown. You see, after calling the Sodomites his friends and his brothers, Lot does something so incomprehensible, so inconceivable, so, so insane that you find yourself staring at the pages of Scripture in, in total disbelief, in, in utter shock. You see, in verse 8, Lot says to the crowd that's surrounding his house, he says to these wicked, evil men, look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. You can do whatever you like with them, but don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? Are you kidding me? Okay, I, I, I get it. I, I understand the desire to protect the two guests that you have under your roof, but what about your precious daughters? I mean, come on, seriously. What, what kind of father is going to willingly give up his virgin princesses to a group of sex-hungry men so they can gang-rape them? In, in what universe is that okay? I'll tell you what, in my universe, no way. It's not. How did Lot get to this point? How was he able to justify this decision in your mind? For us, it appears like it was a giant leap, but I want to suggest for Lot it was not. For Lot, it was a small series of king me-centered steps that began when he chose for himself and pitched his tent in the wrong direction and just kept going and going and going because you predetermine the consequence by choosing the action. You choose the action by the thoughts you choose to think. You, thought, you choose the thoughts you're choosing to think because of whom you're choosing to worship. I do find it interesting that when Lot makes this offer, the, the men surrounding the house, their response. I want you to look at in verse 9 how they responded. They shouted, get out of our way. This man came here as a, a foreigner, an alien, an outsider. In essence, they're saying, you're not one of us. How dare you think you can play our judge? We're going to treat you worse than we are your friends who are under your roof. I want you to consider their response. You see, Lot had called them brothers. My friends. Did you catch what they called him? A foreigner, an alien, an outsider, not one of the boys. Again, I want to put a question out to you. What about you? As a born-again believer, as a child of God, how is the world around you viewing you? What do they see when they watch you on a daily basis? Oh, you may call the world your friend. You may be trying to have one foot planted solidly on the rock of Christ while the other foot is precariously positioned on the unstable, insecure, rocky boat of the world's approval. But in John chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus says, if you were of the world, 
the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Folks, listen, don't think for a moment that you can have King Me sitting high and mighty on the throne of your heart. Don't, don't think for a moment that you can choose for yourself and pitch your tent in the wrong direction and still maintain a godly testimony and have a right relationship with God. You may remember last year I was up here and preached a message on Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve two masters. Either you're gonna love the one and hate the other or you're gonna cling to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both. James chapter one, verse eight tells us that when you try to do that, you're, 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 you're an unstable man. You, 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 you're, everything you think, everything you say is gonna be mixed up and messed up and your choices and your consequences are gonna follow. We see in Genesis 19, verse 11, that the angels struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. You see, these ungodly men are not only now physically blind, but these guys, these guys are so spiritually blind, they don't even care about the consequences of their sinful behavior. Instead, in their moral depravity, they're wearying themselves, trying to find the door so they can satisfy their sinful, fleshly longings and desires. What about you? What are you pursuing after? We move on to verse 12. The angels instructed Lot to find the men who were engaged to be married to his daughters and warn them of the pending disaster. Now, again, I gotta hit the pause button. I need to park on this for a moment because I want you to think about this. Lot's two daughters are engaged to be married. Wonderful. A, a, a joyous time, right? Look at verse 14. Lot went out to spoke to, and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, and he said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. A couple of things I want to point out. First of all, did you notice where these fiancés were located? That's significant. It says that Lot went out and spoke to them. He opened up the front door and stepped out, and what was surrounding him? All the wicked men of the city, all the men of the city, including the fiancés. They were just outside the door. Now, I can't speak for any of the dads in here, so I can only speak for myself as a father. But I gotta tell you, I would not be okay with my daughter marrying such a wicked man. I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't stand for it. And on top of all of that, to add insult to injury, when Lot does find these two men, when he tries to warn them of, of the coming disaster, scriptures say they thought he was joking. What does that tell you about the testimony he had with these two guys? Now, I don't understand the culture back then, so I'm, I'm only thinking of it in my Western mindset, but, but I, I've got to assume that somehow Mr. and Mrs. Lott had the boys over for dinner a few different times. I've got to assume that at least a few different times after dinner, they cleared the table and had their version of Monopoly or, or, or some type of a board game. They had to have had time where they wanted to get to know those guys. That's what I would do. I'm not gonna let my daughter marry some buffoon off the street. No way. No, I personally think that Lot had plenty of time. He had plenty of opportunity to be a godly example and speak biblical truth, but he didn't. How do I know that? Because they thought he was joking. 
He was worshiping a false god in his heart. Now watch this. He was worshiping a false god in his heart, which led him to living a foul life in his home. Unfortunately, the story of Lot has a tragic ending. As a result of his sinful choices, as a result of his lack of biblical leadership in his home, as a result of surrounding himself with bad company, as a result of not guarding his heart, not protecting his home, the consequences of those choices were horrific. The scriptures tell us that Lot's wife died a horrible death. His two daughters got him drunk and committed incest with him and got pregnant by their daddy. Our choices will always lead to consequences. So again, I must ask, what choices are you making? And what will those consequences be? Where are you choosing to pitch your tent? What are you choosing to allow to penetrate your mind and your thinking, your heart, your home, your faith, your focus, your family? You know, Lot didn't deserve rescuing. I love the words in Scripture that say, but God. But God in his grace. But God in his mercy saved that righteous man. Lot, God rescued Lot. Can you see the application I want you, as we wrap things up, I want you to think about all the selfish, sinful, king-me-centered, idolatrous, adulterous things that you have chosen to do in life. As you think about each and every one of those choices, I want you to think about the consequences for each and every one of those choices, what you deserve because of those choices. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death. The wage, the paycheck that you and I have earned because of our king, me, sinful, wicked choices is eternal separation from God. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says, the soul that sins, it shall die. That's what we deserve because of our idolatry. That's what we deserve because of our worship of a false God putting king, me, on the throne of our heart. But now I want you to think with me for just a moment about God's amazing grace, about his marvelous mercy, that God, in his perfect love, not only died on the cross on your behalf, but he's extended to you his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, so that you can stand before him righteous. And someday, when either you, you, your body ceases to function and you die, or when Jesus comes again, which is probably gonna be today, by the way, you're gonna to go to heaven to be with him. God chose to rescue Lot. Suppose with me for just a moment that you had the opportunity to hop in a time machine. The time machine was set. There's no other options. It can only take you back to Genesis 13. So you and I go back to Genesis 13 to the hillside with Abraham and Lot and we watch them offer the sacrifice on the altar. Right along with them, we hear the arguing of the, of the herdsmen wafting up the hillside. We see Abraham shake his head, turn to his nephew and say, nephew, this has got to stop. I have a suggestion. If you want to go west, I'll go east. You want to go east, I'll go west. Let's part company. And you watch Lot look west. You see him kind of wrinkle his nose. It's not very pre pre preferable down there. He looks east, it's a lush green countryside. There's, there's tributaries and waterways and there's a booming metropolis. A big grin comes across his face. He raises his finger and points, starts to turn to his uncle. He's about to say, hey, uncle, you asked, I'm going that way. But before he can, you reach out, you grab his hand, you put it down, and you put your hand over his mouth and you make him look at you. 
and you share with him, you tell him everything that's about to transpire. Lot, if you go down there, here are the choices you're gonna make and here are the consequences that you're going to experience. If you had done that, I can guarantee you that he would have looked at you like you're a purple alien from outer space with a big orange eye in the middle of your forehead who was in green goo. He would have said, you're nuts, you're crazy. That's never gonna happen to me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me out. I am standing on a hillside with you right now and I am declaring in as, as clear crystal tones as I possibly can, stop playing around with your sin. Stop pitching your tent towards Sodom. Stop having King Me on the throne of your heart. Your King Me self-centered oriented cho choices are having far-reaching ramifications, not just for you, but for your family as well. I know because I've experienced it. I know the enemy wants to deceive you into thinking you're in control. I know that the enemy wants to convince you it's not gonna be as bad as he's saying. I also know you'd be dead wrong. Choices always lead to consequences. So again, I ask, where is your tent pitched? What are the choices that you're making? What are you allowing into your mind, into your heart, and into your home? to influence your faith, your focus, and your family. Remember, you predetermine the consequences by the actions that you choose. You choose the action by the thoughts that you think. You choose the thoughts by whom it is you're choosing to worship. Lot was a miserable man. And the whole reason was because of what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He was in torment by the things that he saw and the things that he heard. Let me ask you this question. Would you say that the world we live in today is better than Sodom and Gomorrah? No. That same wickedness that surrounded Lot surrounds us, and it's just as contagious today as it was then. That's why we must, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Always protect your mind. Why? Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. What I think becomes what I do. So one final time I ask, where is your tent pitched? Because I want you to consider this. What you see and what you hear impacts what you think. What you think influences what you do. And what you do has consequences. As I close up this morning, I'll be I, I, I want to extend an invitation. As you've heard this message, some of you may be sitting here this morning and saying, well, you know, Steve, I, you asked a question earlier, where am I going to spend eternity? I don't know. If that's you, if you don't know for sure that you would go to heaven to be with God, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this invitation is for you. But I also have an invitation for those who do know Christ as their Savior, and, and, and you do know that you've been pitching your tent in the wrong direction. And the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You need to pull up the stakes. You need to turn them in the right direction. You need to get King Me off the throne of your heart, and you need to start worshiping God on a consistent basis. If that describes you, then I want to invite you at the end of this service to come down front. Our prayer team is going to be here. They want to pray with you. They want to talk with you. Just take a couple of moments and share with you from Scripture 
how you can know for certain that you're on your way to heaven, how can you know for certain that your tent is pitched in the right direction. I wanna close with this final statement. Today's choices will always, always, always lead to tomorrow's consequences. So what are you choosing today? Would you stand together with me and let's close in prayer. Father, I don't know who in this service or who watching online needed these words today, but you put them heavy on my heart for a reason. Maybe it's, maybe it's just to speak to me, to remind me of where my tent is pitched and the struggle that I have with who's sitting on the throne of my heart. But I have a sneaky suspicion it applies to some other people here as well. I don't know who they are, but you do. So I pray that, Lord, that you would move freely in our midst. Convict where conviction is needed. Encourage where encouragement is needed. But, Father, I pray that if anyone is not, that's here this morning does not know you as Savior, that they would come down front and take a moment and find out how. If someone needs help with, with how to pitch their tent in the right direction, Lord, lead them down front. Let's pray with them. Let's encourage them. But, Lord, I thank you for your word, which is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has penetrated to the dividing of joints and marrow, and um, it's discerned the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Reveal to us what you need to, us to learn. Help us to apply it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great week.